Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I unfortunately am unable to live up to my my uh, patronymic there. Sorry. Well, that's quite all right. But you know who lives up to all of our uh, accolades that we give them? Our listeners who have provided us with a ton of questions today. Almost every one of them has been pulled from our Discord channel. So if you have questions for the show, uh, this one or the regular podcast, or if you want to have something for the queue, we do have a several channels on our Blizzard Watch Discord that you can throw them into. We have our one specifically for patrons, which we always look at first. Then we have our ones for everybody else, because uh, we do like you guys as well. Don't think we don't. We do. Uh, and then uh, if you don't want to do the Discord thing, you can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Our first question comes from Suggle Kitten. I always thought that that was Snuggle Kitten, but they wrote it Suggle Kitten. So hopefully that's actually correct. I've been writing it for years. I remember back when we were first started the, the other podcast and we got stuff for Suggle Kitten and I was always like Snuggle Kitten. They're like, nope, nope, there's no end. Yeah, there's no end in that. So therefore, we are we are going to proceed forth with this question from Suggle Kitten. Why does Bolvar's Lich King eyes go blue just for the Solanus fight? So that is a very uh, that's something a lot of people have been commenting on since the uh, reveal of that cinematic, which is Bolvar's eyes go from red, which traditionally in his tenure as the Lich King since the end of Wrath, his eyes have been red because of whatever power he's channeling from uh, being lit up like a Christmas tree by the Red Dragonflight uh, until that final moment when his eyes do flash that sort of cool blue. And there's been a lot of speculation on that. Uh, we don't have an actual answer to that because, well, we haven't really done anything yet to get an answer. But a lot of folks believe that this is something where Arthas or Nerzul is flashing through. Uh, another group of people have have made comments to me that they think this is the uh, reaction to the power of the helm, feeling the power of the jailer and Sylvanas, and sort of reacting in kind. I don't know which of those I think is accurate. What do you think, Matt? Do you think there there is a reason uh, that we could speculate on of why Bolvar's eyes go blue? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh, interestingly enough, one of the things you do, I'm looking at it right now just to see what I think of it. His eyes are red. His chest is red. He's standing up with the hammer. And he's holding it up next to himself. And then they go blue. I'm actually watching it happen. And then flame in his chest and the flame in the hammer also go blue. Mm-hmm. Names go blue at the same time, basically. Well, at the exact same times. Also, he's got a ton of undead in front of him. We keep saying there's no sign of any undead when she attacks. There is. He's got a whole host of them right in front of him. I like, interesting. They're there. There's there's a whole army of undead before she fights him. I think she just then then when you cut back to her, she has destroyed them all. Well. She is literally killing them, and then they, their fight starts. So that's something we've said in the past. Uh, quite frankly, I never thought to check it and make sure it was true, but it is not. He actually has an entire army of undead in front of him at that fight, and then she destroys them. Um, but in terms of what's happening with him, I think it's a lot simpler than, you know, I don't think he's channeling Arthas or Nizul. I think he's just tapping into the power of the helmet. I think he's not been using it. As, as much as he can not use it for the past several years. The power of the Red Dragonflight is what cursed him into his current existence. It's what prevented... It, it sort of prevented the plague from killing him and trapped him forever as this horrible thing that is neither dead nor alive because the power of the Red Dragonflight is life. And it's been basically... That's why when he sends you to get a mount in Legion, yeah, he sends right. you to get a red dragon. He does. It's, it's fairly clear that that's the reason for it, is to, to use that power of the red dragon flight and pervert it. He even says so. So, I think that that's what you're seeing there, is he is channeling the power of the helmet for the first time in a very long time. And that's one of the reasons why I think 
even if we don't believe, as I do, that, that he has another game plan going on here, even if you take the fight completely at face value and you're wondering how she managed to beat Bolvar, it's quite simple. Bolvar didn't want to be the Lich King in the first place. He wasn't using the power. He didn't spend the past decade or so channeling it. He used it as little as possible. He used it so little that the Valkyr could break free from him. And I think that the, what you're seeing there is him finally going all right and turning it on, and it's it's obviously too late. I think that might be on purpose, because you know what? I think he has another plan going on. But if you take it on face value, you can still say, basically, it's just him going, okay, fine, and finally touching touching on the power inside the helmet. Yeah, which is entirely possible. It, it There's nothing that says that it, that isn't the case, because we haven't really seen him do a whole lot of... Uh, I hate to say this, but up until this this moment, very Lich Kingy things. He's bargained, he's bartered, he's gotten people to do things for him. Uh, but like even when we were talking before about like the Death Knight stuff, he's not really compelling. At least not that we can see. He's essentially saying, "Hey, go do this for me." We have a mutual enemy, right? Like he's trying to uh, almost come across like he's working with them. Uh, so it's it's definitely very possible this is the first time he truly, honestly, is tapping into the power of the helm, uh, which I think makes the most sense, logically. Out of all the things, that's probably the most logical one of them. Because you also see the power that he starts throwing around, uh, calling that winter's uh, sort of storm, which is the same thing we saw Arthas do at the top of Ice Crown Citadel uh, during the encounter. We actually see that. Uh, the basically the the everything that he's doing up until that point is stuff that we've seen Arthas kind of do. And so, yeah, I think that maybe you're right. I think that this mainly is more him finally tapping into that power more than anything else. Now, the interesting thing is I'm, I'm, I'm watching the video too right now as we're talking about this. And as the helm comes off, you notice that the blue goes with it. As the helm is being pulled off that blue power is being sucked up into the helm and all the flames of his body are turning back to uh, that the flamey red goodness of, of the molten uh, re-life. I don't even know if to call it at this point. Uh, I gotta say, I wouldn't call it flamey molten goodness. You're making it sound like a cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the meme now. Everything mm -hmm. is cake, apparently. Delicious, baby. Ugh. Yeah. So it tastes like burning in bed. <laughs> Uh, with a side of dragon fire, but yeah. So I think I think you're on to the right about that. I think with the whole uh, him tapping into the helm, that's where it comes from. And you also see as Sylvanas is cracking the helmet, that blue energy is also being released. So I think that's mo most likely why his eyes turn blue is he's actually physically finally drawing on the helm's power, which he has not done before. Yeah, like, I mean, I think he used it a little bit to make the new Death Knights uh, because we didn't have, you know, suddenly we have new Death Knights. So I figure he probably used some of the Helm's power for that. But aside from that, he hasn't really been doing much of anything for the past decade. Like, when he fought the Legion, he didn't fight the Legion. He had you fight the Legion. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, he's up there, but, you know, it was, again, it was very sparing. He used the power of the helmet very little. So hopefully that answers your question, at least to the best of our ability there, Suggle Kitten. Uh, but yeah, so we'll find out more about that, I'm certain, as we figure out more about the history of the Helm of Domination and Frostmourne and more of the source of the power, in particular where that blue gem that comes in the middle of the Helm of Domination is. So I think we will we'll see more of that. Uh, our next question comes from Godzilla. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Hey, Matt and Joe. It is I, your favorite radioactive mutated dinosaur or ancient super species, depending on which continuity I decide to be at any given moment. Godzilla. Bold of you to assume we don't have other favorite radioactive mutated dinosaurs, but I'll, I'll allow it. I'm bringing back another question uh, thought of the off of the excellent Shadow Rising novel. Now, first off, apologies to Joe, because this, this really is a Rossi question, because it involves one of his favorite things, warriors, and to a lesser extent, night elves as well. I wanted to get your thoughts on the vision of death that Bwamsamdi gave Zakan. As much as it was nice to see Sarfang and Dranash have a happily ever afterlife, 
I can't think that this was a trick on Bumswanby's part. Okay. Uh, in the beta spoiler, it is said that Ysera's soul was one of the last souls that was sorted before the machine of death broke. So how is it that Sarfang's soul made it over? Unless Bomsambi saw to it personally, that his soul found peace. I don't see how he would have wound up, uh, how he wouldn't have wound up in the Maw. More importantly, as per the meeting between Thrall and Tyrande, he was responsible in part for the War of Thorns slash Teldrassil. Despite the all of the blood that was shed, I don't think he deserves the Maw, but a place like Maldraxxus or Revendeth would probably suit him better. So what do you think? Did Wamsamdi pull a fast one on Zakan and Sarfang is stuck in the Maw, or is he off hunting with Drenash in the Orcish fields of Elysium? I mean, I'll let you go for it, Matt, since this is more... Godzilla specifically called you out. Well, I mean, I don't really see why it's more my question than yours. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with Night Owls. Um, I don't. I haven't seen Sorfang in the beta yet. It doesn't mean he isn't there. It doesn't mean they don't already have a storyline for him. I've I've been you know testing stuff as I can, but a lot of times the beta goes up and down and so forth. I haven't got a chance to finish anything. I do know that Ysera is an Ardenweald. Uh, that's not a surprise at this point. She got over there. Um, so it's possible she might be on her way back, for all I know. Uh, but in terms of Sarfang, I mean, did Buon Samdi pull a fast one? I mean, maybe? Or maybe he deliberately grabbed Sarfang on his way over and, and put him somewhere else? I mean, that certainly is possible as well. I, I We know that the Lich King wasn't happy with with Buon Samdi. Because when you do the uh, the quest with Vol'jin, Vol'jin mm -hmm. he is very clearly that the Lich King does not have any patience for Buon Samdi or anyone working for him. And it's entirely possible that that's because instead of Dranosh going to wherever the Lich King might have wanted him to go, granted, keep in mind that, that Bolvar was a very different Lich King, but Bolvar and Dranosh got along. I mean, I don't know if you can say they were friends. Mutual respect. They, they fought side by side at the end when, when both of them went to their ultimate fate. And Bolvar, you know, he respected he respected Dranosh. He thought of him as, you know, I, I don't want to say a friend, but a peer. Somebody that you could work with. And the two of them faced Arthas together. I don't think he would have been happy with someone just stealing his soul to do whatever he wanted with it. So it's possible that Bonsamdi very deliberately took Dranash's soul, perhaps, you know, thinking down the road. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, it does seem weird that he would have Dranash's soul otherwise. Like, and I, the vision of death, I don't know where the heck, you know, that was supposed to be. But there's a lot of Shadowlands. It's possible Dranosh went to wherever he was supposed to go. And then Buonsamdi interceded to get Sorfang there, thinking that he, you know, since he had done Buonsamdi a service. Remember, Buonsamdi wanted Sylvanas out as Horde Warchief. He wanted her dead, but he did, you know, he wanted her out. So perhaps he saw what, what Sorfang did to depose her as a good thing and rewarded him with an after, with, a, with a decent afterlife. Or maybe he was BSing the little guy. I don't know. Zakan, I'm, I'm less... I, after the book, I don't think Zakan's as bad as I did before. But make no mistake, Zakan ain't very smart. No. No, he's not a very clever guy. And and I'm not I'm not put, ruling it out that, that Buon Sandy might have just been messing with him. But then again, does Buon Sandy think Zakan is worth messing with? That's the question. Buon Samdi doesn't do a lot for no reason. Like, none, none of his actions are just, you know, he acts mercurial, but there's always a sense that he is playing a game with you. That He's you maneuvering know, you, yeah. It, when, when you see him, every time you see him in, in Battle for Azeroth, every time he shows up, sure, he, he's kind of mocking and he's sort of arrogant, but you pay attention to the times he shows up. When he shows up for Rastakhan, he does not show up just to taunt him. He shows up with a deal in hand. When he comes to see Talanji again, he shows up with a deal in hand. He's not just there to mess with people. He has an agenda. So I don't, ultimately I don't know. 
the answer to this question. In terms of where Sorfang should have gone, was Sorfang responsible in part for the War of Thor Thorns and the Burning Eldrassil? Yes. Uh, it was his plan. If not for his plan, if he had not, not just come up with a plan, but executed the plan, they would never have even gotten near Teldrassil to set it on fire in the first place. And keep in mind, his plan was entirely dependent on Azerite. Because if they'd gotten that close to Teldrassil normally, that would have meant nothing. Without the special catapults with Azerite on them to launch the Azerite flames into the, the Teldrassil, it would have been fine. They could have thrown fire at that tree all effing day and nothing would have happened. So it was only the combination of Sylvanas having Azerite and Sorfang getting them to the tree that allowed them to do that. And quite frankly, I'm amazed at the range on those freaking catapults because it's not it's not close. All those times I flew across from Teldrassil to you know the the coastline, it was not it's not close. So those catapults were extremely enhanced. But does he bear responsibility? Absolutely, yes, he bears responsibility. I don't know if I I wouldn't consider him the primary architect of it, but he it is his fault that the Lord was even there. It's his fault that all those people who lived on Darkshore and in Ashenvale got displaced. They lost their homes. Many of them lost their lives entirely because of him. That is absolutely true. Uh, this is one of the problems I have whenever the Horde and the Alliance eventually come to one of these peace treaties that they eventually come to from time to time. It's always after the Horde has destroyed huge swaths of the Alliance territory and killed a whole bunch of Alliance citizens. Like, oh yeah, we blew up Tharamore, but now we're at peace again. Well, you know, and it's just, I don't, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to see the Alliance doing atrocities, but on the other hand, the Horde literally never pays for anything it does. In the story, the Horde has literally never paid for anything it ever did, under Garrosh or under Sylvanas. The Horde never suffers for anything it does. It never bears any consequences, and it still isn't. What consequences has the Horde suffered this time? They lost Undercity. And that was the Horde that did that. That was Sylvanas who caused them to lose Undercity. They didn't even lose that battle. They blew up their own city trying to kill the Alliance leadership. I mean, they were going to lose it, but it's just one of those things. So, Sorfang, he is responsible, and he didn't really pay for it, and he probably would have ended up in Maldraxxus, uh... I'm not going to say Revendreth. I don't think he died with a lot of pride on it. Remember that Revendreth is the place where you go when you're like, you know, haughty. Well, you're like, you're Kael'thas. Yeah. You you refuse to admit you did anything wrong. You refuse to accept the consequences of your actions. I think Sorfang did accept that he was wrong. I mean, if you listen to his talking to Anduin, he says it. He's like, no. We've done. We do these things. We're, we're like literally drenched in blood. We keep, you know, and we keep repeating the same mistakes. You know, so I, I, I won't say that Sorfang wasn't ready, and he certainly was a powerful warrior. Um, so he, you know, if he was going to go to some place like Maldraxxus, that would not be a surprise. But it feels like he ended up at some other Shadowland, based on the book, and I don't know where it is or what, what the, I don't know what the purpose of that Shadowland is. I don't know if there is a Shadowland that is just okay. You kind of suffered a long time, and you get to have some kind of happy ending, and, and and you get to like remember who you are, which you don't. The Kyrians, for instance, you don't get to remember who you are. But I don't know. The, there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about since we read that section. I don't think it's a trick on Bomsamdi's part because it, what purpose did it serve? Right, like it, the only thing that I could see is that it, it put Zakan at ease so that he would continue to help Talanji and the people of you know her kingdom, which he was already going to do because that's just kind of his character, more or less. Right, like it was the the sort of you need to do what you got to do, and here you go. And it was, I think, in response to if I remember correctly, Zakan literally asking what happened to Sarfang, and. Why would he, why, what purpose in that moment would Wamsamity have to lie? Now, there's a couple other things that could be at at play here. First of all, we know that again, and we talk about this a little, a little bit in the last several weeks, that time moves differently in the Shadowlands depending on where you go. We don't know how that is in each realm. 
it is possible that he wound up in one of those other areas uh, at some point, and now he's reaping the rewards of, of his final transformation or whatever. That's one thing. The other thing is people are talking about how he got there if it was Bwamsamdi. It doesn't necessarily have to be Bwamsamdi. We've seen other creatures that have been able to ferry souls to different places. And just because we're going into the Shadowlands, into essentially what, Torghast and then out? Like, that's what happens when we first get in? Yes, we go into the mall. We don't actually, we, yeah, we go to the mall. We don't actually go to Torghast. We okay. go to the mall. So we go to the mall. We can then get our way out because we can. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other ways in and out of the various planes of the Shadowlands either. And don't forget, like, the Valkyr were originally made to ferry souls basically into the Shadowlands, right? They were made to bring them over. And that knowledge is not exactly... Well, actually, let's be fair. The Valkyr were made to bring souls out of the Shadowlands. Fair. The, the Kyrian are the ones ferrying people to their proper destination. The, the, the Valkyr do almost the exact opposite. Okay, so then the Kyrian. But the point I'm trying to make is that knowledge of how to move souls isn't exactly monopolized anymore. Plus, it's not I mean, a hidden we're only, secret. We're talking about Azerothian beings here. Right. But he was from Draenor. Mm -hmm. And they had their own spirituality, their own view of the of death. I mean, we, we and we've seen souls on in Outland not going to the Shadowlands, but instead going to help regenerate one of the of the Naru. And the, the orcs were perfectly comfortable with that. They didn't have a problem with it. They understood what was happening, and they were okay with it. It's quite possible that some other being from Draenor might have interceded for somebody who was essentially so mm -hmm. much a son of his planet, or her planet, or its planet. I mean, that's the thing. We don't really... There's a lot we don't know about what Draenor's spirituality and its, its quote-unquote, whatever you'd call its gods and, and deities and spiritual beings. Like we, we know that they had shamanism, and they had elemental worship but they also had ancestor worship it's quite possible that his one of his ancestors reached out i mean who knows we don't know that this it, is all this is all kind of conjecture we're all just speculating yeah we also don't know what areas of the shadowlands butt up against Draenor. if that Maybe has any Bro play into it broxigar has been dead for ten thousand years despite mm -hmm. having been alive during the third war thanks to going back in time and picking a fight with with uh Sargeras, maybe Brox did it. Maybe Brox went and got his brother and took him to his son. Who knows what Brox is up to? What he's like? I don't know if we're going to meet him in the Shadowlands. I don't think we are. I haven't seen any mention of him yet. But that's a guy who might have some juice. Imagine like your various orc ancestors trying to talk about what you did, what your accomplishments were. You turn to this guy and he's like, "Oh yeah, I fought a Titan one on one and kept him from destroying a world." After traveling in time to do so. Yeah, it's like, you know, that's that's pretty big bragging rights, and that seems to be pretty important among orc ancestor culture. It's like, what did you accomplish? What did you do? What were your achievements? I mean, that's a pretty big one. Who knows, after however long he's been over there, what he's up to now. So that's another... It's it's. I have no idea. I have no evidence for this, but it's something that we could speculate on, and we could speculate on a couple dozen more. And we still don't know. There's all. This also plays into some other mysteries as well. We still don't know the whole Vol'jin story. We don't know who pushed him back over, who made him that sort of what he is now. We don't yeah, we know, know how who, he got there. We know who lied to him. We know who told him to say yes. Sylvanas, but we don't know what made him what he is today. Right, and that was the whole point of that whole story, where we're going to all these different places and hitting up all these different entities tied to death to figure out who sent him over. It's also entirely possible that whoever did that, who very clearly has a reach into Orgrimmar, because, well, that's where Vol'jin died, uh, it's entirely possible that whatever being or, or entity did that did something for Sarfang as well. There could be another player here that we don't know yet. And that's, first of all, to me, that's really intriguing. Um, now, to the other part of that question, which Matt, I think, has, has pretty much hit up, whether he's worthy of this, I don't know. It, he is definitely responsible for a lot of atrocity, a lot of death, and a lot of pain. Uh, and 
I don't know if I can really say what he's worthy of for his afterlife. Uh, and I think that's going to be a question that Shadowlands is going to bring up a lot with a lot of former uh, NPCs and a lot of characters we deal with. What what does this mean? Uh, and from, like, we also have to consider like the context, not just for Sarfang in the game, but for Sarfang as an orc. Yeah. Because his culture is not the same culture as, say, the Night Elf culture. As an orc, what do orcs value? What do orcs think would redeem you? What would orcs even think you needed to be redeemed for? Fighting for your war chief is not bad in orcish culture. It doesn't really, there's no, they don't have a conception of, you know, if you're given a, a, a bad order, you should refuse it. Like in their mind, if you're given a bad order, you challenge the war chief to Magora and either win or lose. Yep. And, that's kind of what happened. That's what he did, ultimately. So by orcish standards, this, you know, okay, he burned down, he did something on the War Chief's command. I don't get what you're upset about. Like, it, it, it's quite possible that to them, this isn't an issue. And to the spirits and gods of their culture, I mean, we don't, like we said, like I said, you know, elemental spirits and shamanism and ancestor worship seem to be the primary spirituality of orcish people in game. But we also know they that they, they had some form of, I don't want to say like priest is not the right word, um, but they did they definitely had some uh, some form of spirituality that wasn't just shamanism and wasn't just pure ancestor worship because we talk about that there's evidence of that throughout two expansions now. So, we, again... Yeah, but that's one thing. Those two expansions are modern culture. I'm talking about the culture on Draenor before all this happened. The culture he grew up in. Right. That's the other thing. It's, it's very... Well, that's what I'm talking I'm about. When is... we do, like, the archaeology stuff and you do stuff like that, like, it's it's a weird, weird thing to go into. But, like, if you start going through all the archaeology items and stuff like that, there's definitely the, the sense that there was a form of spirituality that isn't fully explored, right? And that's The only thing the I can think culture. of is that, for instance, they had a name for, like, their own version of a wolf ancient. They did. They had Lagash, which was something that they, they brought over with them from Draenor. So they might have had their own ancients on on their version of Draenor. Which, you know, both, we know that they had weird stuff going on on the Draenor we visited in Warlords. But Outlands, the Outland Draenor might also pretty much had all the same stuff. It was So there's the Breakers and the Primordials also, and those beings kind of like, if you go all the way back to Grand, who was like this you know, demigodish figure. There's a lot going on there. We don't know the answer to this question. It's possible Zekhan just straight up lied. Bon I don't. Yeah, yeah sorry. It's, it's possible. No, Zekhan, he's a liar. No. Uh, Samdi might have straight up lied to Zekhan. That's, that's possible. We don't know. But it does not seem. It, if he was going to do that, you'd expect him to want something, and he didn't really get anything out of Zekhan that he wasn't going to get anyway. Yeah, the question it, it is how is it profitable to do so? That's That's the question, right? Like, why would it be profitable yeah, for him? He did, to well, more importantly, he didn't have to because the kid was going to do what he did anyway. All he did was, you know, you could argue, well, he made him do it better because he wasn't worried. And I guess that's true, but he might have lived his entire life never having answered that question and just dealt with it the way people do. You don't know this is really going to improve his performance in, in the whole thing. You just. So, yeah, I don't know. I, ultimately, the answer is we don't know. So we'll probably find out more. Uh, maybe not exactly that specific thing, but I suspect, and again, you're probably going to hear this a lot out of me, as Shadowlands starts to sort of open up a little bit more uh, as the beta progresses, and especially after release, I have a feeling this is a question that we're going to get more information on. I, If you go back and listen to our interview with Madeline Rue, I'm not going to, to give any spoilers for those that don't want to, but I, I don't want to hear them. But things in that book were very specifically placed. I don't think anything was a throwaway in there. And I think that's sort of the important takeaway. So if for this to be a scene that played out there, I I have a sneaking suspicion that it's going to come back up in Shadowlands at some point. And I think we'll probably get an answer to that specific question then. Because we're definitely not the only ones that are going to wonder about that. So... Uh, our next question, or questions, comes from our friend Vertigree, an undead mage from the Dalaran server. 
hello, Watchers. I had a thought just now while I'm listening to the latest Lore Watch about what the Forsaken remember of death. Uh, part one. When you get raised by Valkyr after Wrath, you and Lillian are some of the most coherent, but neither of you explicitly remember death. And you, the player character, may or may not remember life. Perhaps having spent your time in Bastion? Question mark. Uh, in Darkshore Warfront, War you're you giving a Valkyr 20 iron uh, for a troop is either game shorthand for literally what happened. Uh, if we take it literally, I propose Sylvanas was doing something like that, what Gul'dan did with his original Death Knights. If she was having the Valkyr grab Kyrian souls who had their memories erased and giving them random bodies, that could explain them immediately getting on board with the Forsaken without removing their free will and could have been happening for years. Thank you for your time. Uh, that's my attempt at ordering the vortex of Aaron thoughts and questions of this Shadows Rising Eve. Uh... I don't know. That's a real good set of questions, but I don't know. Like, maybe you just don't remember death because that's part of the process of the Valkyr bringing you back. Don't forget, like... I mean... Go ahead. I mean, I was going to say, the Valkyr are related to the Kyrians in that they are kind of like... Someone basically stole the idea of what the Kyrians do to make their Ascendant and gave it to Odin. And Odin gave it, used it to raise Hela. Mm -hmm. Helia, sorry. Uh, and Helia then used it to make her own Valkyr after she broke free. And meanwhile, Odin is still using it on people like Aeir to make his Valkyr. Um, so that's that's not, you're not entirely off base to make that connection. Whether or not you or Lillian or any of the Forsaken have actually, their spirits were in Bastion. That's something we don't know. Uh, we, For one thing, when you go to Bastion, it seems relatively... If people were getting their souls stolen from Bastion at the numbers that we have Forsaken for, they would have noticed before now. I mean, they, they, they're, they're... The whole quest... When you go through the whole quest to be in Bastion, when stuff goes wrong there, they it's it's a big deal and everyone's paying attention. They don't necessarily know what to do, but then it happens, and people are like, what's going on here? All this stuff is not the way it's supposed to be. So were people like being yanked out of Bastion before they could get processed? I think it would be a big deal. Like The people of Bastion would, would notice it. So I don't think that that has explicitly happened, at least from what I've seen of the story so far. That doesn't mean that the souls aren't getting yanked back using the techniques that the Kyrian used to shepherd souls to their final destination. And it doesn't mean... We, we have no idea why people have a hard time. Like, I've said from the beginning that I don't actually buy that Forsaken have free will. Because people die, are raised as Forsaken, and immediately turn on the people they were working with in life. If you go to Fenris Isle... You see this happen. The Valkyr raised people that were getting ready to fight the Forsaken. They raised them as undead, and they immediately turn against them. I think there's some validity to that, too, because if you start looking at some of the other things, like let's look at Before the Storm, those people, those Forsaken that formed the, the what is it, the Desolate Council? Yeah, the Council. The, 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 that they form that, that they start filling in those gaps... Sylvanas has been gone for a long time at that point. Why didn't they try to do anything while she was still there? Is it something where she's exerting her will directly when she's around them? Is that something that, I mean, is that the cause of it? Is that what's happening? And, and I have no idea. But I do know that I've always thought it was a little hinky, the idea that you have complete and total free will. I agree. Um, I, I, it, I think some people might have more of it than others. Like, for instance, Lena Bartholomew... He turned against Sylvanas almost immediately, so I'm assuming he had pretty close to his free will. Uh, it seems pretty clear that Lillian did. Mm -hmm. um, and it's quite possible you as a player character do, uh, although they'll never let you play as a Forsaken who leaves the Horde or leaves the Forsaken, so you'll never really get to express it. You'll never get to just outright say, no, I'm not doing this. Um, if you play as a Forsaken, you as a player, you made the choice on the character selection screen to play a Forsaken, so the lore is you, you embrace this. And that, that makes sense. I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying 
unless we got an allied race that was like forsaken that didn't want to be in the horde or didn't want to be like under sylvanas or whatever you call it now until that time the lore is always going to be that you as a player character freely chose to be this and i don't have a problem with that i think that makes sense but i'm not necessarily convinced that it's that simple for everybody who ends up forsaken it's quite possible however your idea that they don't remember anything um just as clearly though some do remember and still turn against their former people um Deloran summer oh i can't remember her last name you, you know the one i'm talking about summerdale summerdale the, uh, the night out yeah summer moon summer moon she she clearly remembers her life so does uh, if we talk about Shadows Rising. Uh, yeah, Sarah Moon Warden, absolutely. Sarah yep. and Sarah, in Sarah's case, I actually buy that she turns against her people because a she's in agony, and b she feels betrayed by them. She feels betrayed by her god, and she feels betrayed by everybody that was supposed to help her and keep this from happening to her. It's not, it's not enough that she died. She died, and then her death was perverted into this thing where she has to inflict pain and suffering on people just to feel like she has any existence at all. Yeah, she's mad at them, and it makes sense. And I think that could be the case for a lot of Forsaken, where they, they're, they, they turn on their former lives because they blame it, but not everybody. Just the idea that, boom, as soon as it happens. And they've done stuff in the past. They had a whole thing where like people come back, and they don't want to come back, and they get put down. That's mentioned, I believe, in the starting zone for Forsaken. Oh, yeah. So no, there, they, and there's, there's been, several instances of it, too, yeah. There's been adju- ways to adjust it. There's been ways to talk about it. I just, I do think that there's somewhat of a suspicious element. And the idea that they don't remember anything, that, it's pretty traumatic to die. I mean, especially the way a lot of Forsaken died. A lot of them didn't just, you know, didn't get old and die surrounded by family. They died, like, horribly. Uh, many times they died horribly while being eaten by corpses that were also recently dead and got back up. So they, you have that experience. A lot of the original Forsaken didn't have minds for an extended period of time until the Lich King stopped controlling them. Remember that. That's the thing about the Scourge. When when the Nerzul version of the Lich King was weakening because he'd, he'd ruptured his frozen throne to get the sword out so that he could corrupt Arthas his power was leaking out and he was losing control of the Scourge, many of them had been completely mindless servitors up until that point. They didn't remember their past lives. They didn't think. They did what they were told and that was it. Uh, Nathanos, for instance, did not remember anything about his life. He did not even remember being alive. He didn't remember who he was. Sylvanas had to capture him and get him to remember. So... It's quite possible that Sylvanas was doing something like that too, or just that that's the natural state of undeath. When you were raised from, from the dead, it's traumatic, it's awful, and maybe some people's minds don't handle it well. And th- and that's and that's something that we see in real life too. Like a lot of times if you go through a very traumatic event, your brain will do what it can to uh, not justify it, but put you in a place where you can survive and move past it. And with death being so traumatic, it's entirely possible that the only way to move past it is to quite literally forget it, quite literally have your brain suppress it in order to function. Um, I know that some people used to theorize that it was that part of their brain was rotted out or whatever the case is, but I I don't know. Like, I think it's a combination of a true lack of, of honest free will and a brain's already... Uh, natural state of trying to suppress trauma. I think those two things combined make you forget exactly what death was like for you and maybe sometimes your life. Uh, and going back to the Dark Shore Warfront where you're recruiting folks to, to complete the event, uh, I th- think that's just a game mechanic personally that I don't think has any other deeper meaning. But even if it was something where you're grabbing bodies off the battlefield and shoving their souls back into them, and reanimating them, I mean, it's a war front. You're doing horrible things. Horrible things are being done to you and yours. Like, it's it's not a happy-go-lucky thing. War, the, the saying that war is hell, yeah, that, I think that applies. And those people may not have died in the most, you know, 
civilized of ways. There were tanks, there were flamethrowers, there's magic users throwing stuff around. Uh, we as, as super powerful PCs are going through and wielding terrible forces. I mean, think of all those NPCs that you kill. You're, if you're a shaman, you're blowing them up with lightning and fire, and you're making the earth swallow them whole. If you're a warrior, you're rampaging through them with giant weapons, cleaving them in twain. Like, these are not exactly non-traumatic events. So, I, even if they're, like I said, even if they're just taking the bodies and using magic or, or whatever the power is to bring them back and shove souls back into them... Yeah, maybe they forgot what happened 20 minutes ago because, I mean, I don't know if, if about you, but if I'm getting cleaved in half by a, you know, bloodthirsty night elf, justifiably so, uh, as a horde player, I probably don't want to remember being cut in half. It's probably not top of my priority list. Plus, I mean, they're probably not sticking to just horde corpses. If they can get, if they get their hands on a bunch of Odette Alliance, why wouldn't they try it with them? Oh, of course. Like, I mean, and that, that's and that's the thing, too. We've seen them do that in the past as well, where uh, it, it's it's just a body. It's a resource. That is how the Forsaken reproduce. And this is just a fault of their existence. They don't they can't have children. They can't they can't reproduce like every other living race on Azeroth. The only way that they can reproduce or have more added to their ranks is literally to shove power or anima or whatever you want to call it into a corpse and make that corpse stand back up. So yeah. <laughs> uh, but I hope that answers at least some of your question. Vertigreen gives you a little more perspective on that. Uh, our next question comes from Jack Jack uh, question for Lorewatch. What if the conflict in Shadowlands isn't between light and shadow, but between life and death? While we've seen the embodiments of the different alignments of the cosmology chart, Light Naru, Fel Legion, Arcane Titan, Shadow Voidlord, and we're meeting the Pantheon of Death, what if Alun is the leader of the life or part of the Pantheon of Life? This could explain the Jailer making moves to usurp or fight life and Alun, and us needing to use her power to defeat him. Uh, what if? I mean, we don't know. <laughs> we know that that's... There's nothing in game to, to outright oppose Confirm that. or deny, yeah. We know that they're kind of considering the arcane to be kind of like order as well. They, they've specifically talked about the pantheon of order and the pantheon of death. Um, we don't know if Alun is part of that. It would it would be interesting if she was part of some group that's like similar to the Titans, but more involved in life. Um, we know that it, it's very. It's always been interesting to me that it was the tier of Alun was one of the pillars of creation. Yep, which all the other ones were Titan, yeah. titan articles, right? The rest were all Titan artifacts, but the pill, the tier of a loon was obviously... I mean, we, as far as we know, the loon is not a Titan. We don't know what she is, but whatever it is, it's not a Titan. So, why was she there? Why was she involved? How come we didn't see her Like you know, at the end of Legion? Um, that's entirely possible, but we don't know. We don't know what her relationship is to the Naru. We know that she seems to have a relationship to the Naru in that the Tear of Alun could do what a Naru... Like, when when Zira's core was brought to the Tear of Alun, it was reactivated or reawakened or whatever word you want to use for this. And ordinarily, it would have taken one of Zira's descendants to do that. It would have taken another Naru of the same line as her. Which uh, we've known of, from past experience. Yeah, because they, that's why we went to the you know the the uh, I can't remember the name of the bloody ship the the, the Zenadar not the Zenadar the er not the Eridar my God what's the, the name of that bloody city thank you that's why we went to the Exodar <laughs> in the first place was to get one of you know Oros one of her descendants to reactivate her sentience core and that's why the Legion destroyed him so he couldn't do it um, and then when we used the Terra Valoon to do it that implies a relationship of some sort between Zera and Alun. Does that mean that that Zera was Alun's descendant? Is Alun a giant Naru? I don't know. We've never seen anything to that level. Although it's, I am it, reminded of an article that Anne wrote a very long time ago saying is Alun or wait that Alun is a Naru. Yeah, and I mean that's certainly one possibility. Another possibility could be that Alun is what a Naru like is to Naru what the Void Lords are to the old gods. 
that's that's another possibility. And that the reason that the Naru have light and dark cycles is that they are inherently corrupted by having to enter the physical universe where they're not from. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's a possibility. I don't know the answer to these questions. Uh, it's an interesting thing to think about, is all we can really say. There is nothing but... When you're asking what if the conflict in Shadowlands isn't between light and shadow, between life and death, the, the truth is, is it, it can be both. Like, yeah, I think it's not the, mutually light, exclusive. Light and shadow are definitely fighting in Bastion. Like you see void entities. They're there. They're attempting to invade. They're attempting to, to, to put out the light of Bastion. Bastion heavily uses the light. Um, and the whole point is that light and light and shadow don't, start or begin they don't begin or end with life and death they're separate forces um and there clearly is life and death going on here that that's not an if that's that is the central conflict that's like i remember back when we were doing battle for azeroth i said that the the thros stuff that that you see when when you're doing drustvar that it, it, it was setting up that the next expansion was going to be about life and death Mm -hmm. and, the, and that the the Drust, who are in Shadowlands, the Drust are in Ardenweald's story. And Drust Druidism is very much a part of that story. It's very much a continuation of Drustvar. There's there's elements that, that reoccur. The Drust are very much... We were talking before about people who could divert souls. The Drust do that. The Drust take souls that are supposed to go into the afterlife... And instead of letting them go on, they jam them into construct bodies, wooden mm -hmm. construct bodies, wooden stone. So there's a lot of people who understand how to mess around with anima. And that's something the Titans understood. We know the Titans knew how to manifest anima because there's anima golems inside a Titan facility on Azeroth. The, the Mogu use them. We know that the Mogu understand anima. This isn't new. A lot of the stuff we're seeing isn't new. It's just being put together in ways we didn't think of before. I mean, an anima literally means animating force. It means life. That's what anima is. And it seems to be tied up, not just, we talked before about how, you know, those, those spirits might have been from Bastion because they lost their memories. But it's not just Bastion that does that. Revendreth, they make you forget on purpose. They literally flens your memories from you because when you give them up, you're giving up your arrogance and your pride. And your anima goes with them. It's the anima they're peeling out of you. That's where Revendreth's anima comes from. So this is all connected. And I don't I don't think it's an if. I think it's an and. Yeah, in this I agree. Circumstance. I agree. And the other thing that I, I this is another aspect of this that I, I know a lot of people have been talking about. Uh, I've gotten a lot of tweets and a lot of messages on Discord about this, is this idea of there being a pantheon of death specifically. And for those of you that don't know, this is and, and this is not really spoiler territory because this is stuff that's been known for a while. It's sort of like all of the, the sort of dark aligned or death aligned entities uh, essentially working for or with the jailer has been referred to as the pantheon of death. So you're talking about Moizala, which we don't have confirmation that it's with the jailer, uh, but is being included in that. We're talking about Helia uh, and sort of that whole lineage of, of entities. Uh, a lot of people have been looking for uh, sort of the light equivalent, like those entities that would rally around essentially a loon in this case is what I've been hearing the most of. And again, it, like Matt saying, it's not an either or. I think it's both. I think that we're going to see more of a cosmic level type of thing going on. And we're going to have more of sort of that life and death that more, more of that light and dark and how those two concepts sort of intertwine and then start seeing the shades of gray in between. Like, I don't think we're going to just see these entities, these gods, so to speak. I think there's going to be more that gets revealed over time, especially when we start to figure out what the Jailer actually is, what the Arbiter actually is, how they were born, how what happened there. Because don't forget, too, we're going into an area that challenges all of the wisdom that we as player characters think we know at this point. And it's even starting to challenge the wisdom of we, the players outside of the game, with our meta knowledge. 
stuff like this, none of this stuff has been covered in any of the Chronicles. None of this stuff has been covered in any of the the games so far or the comics or the books, really. And this is all new territory, which is wonderfully exciting. But it also means that they're not really tied down to the sort of Azerothian concepts anymore. This could be any number of things. These could be things that... I, I always refer to it as sort of like the Russian nesting dolls, sort of, so to speak, of like cosmology. Like Azeroth, when we first started, we were that real tiny like doll right in the middle. And as expansions kept happening, we kept seeing the bigger, the bigger doll, the bigger doll, the bigger doll. We're getting to another point now where, yes, Titans were these big things. We, we thought that Titans were essentially the equivalent of gods. What if they're not? What if they're just very powerful entities and there are still things more powerful than they were out in, in the greater multiverse that exists around uh, Azeroth and, and World of Warcraft in general? And I think that's what we're starting to see, especially with the inclusion of the Jailer, especially with everything else. I think that before this expansion is done, all of our concepts of good and evil, light and, and shadow, life and death are going to be challenged somewhat because where we're going and dealing with this stuff, it doesn't play by the same rules anymore. So again, I do want to say one thing before we move on. Sure. Um, this is not a new concept in world of Warcraft, by the way, mm -hmm. if you go back to the very first RTS, you know, the last, no, no, the last 40 man raid in, in world of Warcraft, a character named Sir Zeliac shows up. Sir Zeliac is undead. He's not just undead, he's Scourge. He has, he has a mind, but he is completely controlled by the Lich King. Yep. And despite the fact that he is completely controlled by the Lich King, he can blast you with the Holy Light. And does so. Yes, he still has faith, he can still summon the Holy Light, he can still hit you with it. And this is despite the fact that he is directly working for the Lich King. He, he begs you to leave several times as you're, as you're making your way through Nexramas to confront him. It's one of the four horsemen. He begs you to go away. He doesn't want to do this. And yet, he totally can. And that's not the first time. I mean, it's not the last time that somebody who is dead can channel the light. Um, you see it repeatedly. The, the fact that Forsaken Priests can channel the light is the same thing. They, they can control the light despite the fact mm -hmm. that they're dead. And they can even be healed by the light. It's just that when the light heals them, it, it feels like death. It burns them. They don't like it. But it does heal them. Um... This is something, when, when you look at what happened with Zira, Zira, for all that we, we, we make Zira sound like an absolute monster, because from our perspective, what she's going to do to Illidan is just crazy monstrous to us. From her perspective, Illidan spent his entire life, for lack of a better word, being a jerk mm -hmm. and wasting his potential, and people died for it. What she was planning on doing is not something that the light would be against. The light is all about one true path. Illidan had a true path. He kept refusing to get on it. So Zera using the light to change him into someone who could actually do what needed to be done is not, you know, it's not an act that we consider it an evil act, but it's not an act the light wouldn't countenance. Why wouldn't it? Why would it have a problem with that? The light clearly does not have moral guidance. Light and void do not actually, neither of them has a moral issue. The thing is, is that the void is destructive to our sanity and the light seems to be just as destructive to our sanity. If you take certain storylines, like for instance, the whole, um, the whole, uh, oh, well, I can't remember the stupid orcs names. The, Ma the, the Maghar? Yeah, the Maghar. The, the Maghar, the whole yeah. Ma yeah. The Maghar intro that you get in Battle for Azeroth shows you what happens when people take the light as their only moral guidance and don't make decisions for themselves. Yeah, and that's like that's a borderline horror story from the aspect that you're given that story, like for us. But because we can see, and this has sort of always been the player character's perspective, we are a creature in the middle of all of these forces, all of them, not just one or two, all of them: life, death, light, shadow, arcane, fell. All of this stuff are are things we can touch and we can see, and gives us a perspective that these individual things do not have. Like another way to put it too is this. Let, let me put it this way. This is the simplest way to put it. Life and death, we understand. You know, we are alive. We don't want to die, but we will eventually. But in terms of light and shadow, in in the terms of Warcraft cosmology, the void drives you mad because it prevents. It basically is. It's 
you see every possibility because you don't def- you really see any possibilities. You you can anything is anything could be happening. Anything could be true. There's no way to discern between them. Light, there's just one possibility. And that's just as destructive to your mind if you think about it. If you can never see alternatives, if you can never weigh the consequences of your actions because you can only see one path forward, the, that's just as annihilating to your mind as seeing nothing but possibilities. It, it's zealotry. Yeah, well, it's not just zealotry, though. Think about it this way. Imagine if every time you're presented with a choice, only one option actually occurs to you, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even though there, there are options that are, that are exactly the same, that, you know, oh, I could have a coffee or I could have a, a muffin. I must have coffee. Imagine if that was your life, if you could never, ever actually make a choice because you never saw a choice. It's not just zealotry because it's, it's more destructive than that. It's rigid, linear thinking. It's the idea that no, there is no free will because there's no possibility to, to, you know, to make it to oppose it. You can't decide to do anything. You only have the one option, which is not an option. Think about what that would do to your mind. And and that's the thing. We, we see the void. We see the, the quote-unquote madness that the void causes. But the to, to use a real-life example from my own existence, when I couldn't not do, like when I had obsessive thoughts and I couldn't like just walk away from them, I had to do the thing they said to do. That that's that is textbook madness. If you if you can't control your own thoughts, you are mad. And that's what the light brings. It's this is not good for actual mental health, by the way. If you're talking about real mental health issues, this doesn't work. This is for a video game. Mm-hmm. But think about the the rigidness of that. The light is just as destructive to sanity as the void, and always has been. The difference is, is that the light is almost always being evoked when people are out of options. People call on the light when they can't handle their, you know, oh, God, monsters are coming. Oh, God, what do we do? Help us. And the, vo- the light's like, okay, yeah, I will take care of it. Do this thing. And people do because they, they've already decided they're out of options. So there's a lot to it. I think you're going to see more of it in the game. Yeah, and I don't disagree. Don't disagree at all. Uh, our next question comes from Corix. Uh, hi guys, purely based on your amazing speculation and imagination, how would you like Shadowlands to pan out based on the early information we've been given? There are several ways Blizzard could go with it, however, it is always fun to set you, set off both of your trains of thought. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I gotta think about that one for, do you have, do you have a way that you want the expansion to pan out? Not necessarily that you maybe think it will go, but how you want it to go? Honestly, I'm just I'm with this expansion. I'm willing to wait and see what happens. Um, I do want Nathanos Blightcaller dead. I want him to die. I agree. I'm with tired that. of him. I'm tired of hearing his character voice. I am, you know, it's long past point where he gets dead. Snuff him. That being said, that's just a that's just a selfish want. I understand why they would want to keep him going because he is very useful as a character. I have to say that for all these characters that I don't like. Because it's one thing to not personally like them. It's another thing to think that they're not good characters. And I, I'm completely different on that score. I, I don't. I think the Thanos is a fascinating character. And I'd love to see his character get explored more. Not just, here I am, once again, doing whatever Sylvanas wants me to do. I would like to see, what does Nathanos want? And if it's just to do what Sylvanas wants... Why is that what he wants? And is there any part of him that wants something else? Is there any part of him that's like, you know, can I, can I somehow get back to a place where it was us the way we were before? Can I somehow redeem my existence in, in some way, get back to what I wanted? Or is that just gone? And is he just acting because he doesn't know what else to do? There's stuff I'd love to see there. In terms of the, I know what's going to happen in this expansion in that I know that we're going to eventually confront the Jailer and stop him. Because if we don't stop him, that's pretty much the whole ball game. We're, we're done. Uh, life collapses into, into death and, you know, Azeroth and possibly beyond it stop working properly. And then, you know, eventually we're all just in the Shadowlands forever. I don't think that's where they're going with this. So I'm pretty sure that the Jailer will be confronted and stopped. 
I suspect that Bolvar will end up taking the Jailer's job, like we talked about before. Um, if not, I think that the Helm of Domination will be reforged in order to use it against the Jailer. And I think, you know, because it's a runic item, when it is reforged, it will become more powerful. That's what happens when you reforge a rune item. Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be what happens with the Helm, too. Yeah, so when that happens, if if Bolvar does not become the Jailer or take the Jailer's role, he will probably become the Lich King again. Um, unless they've managed to hide... There's certain story elements that, they, that there's been no sign of that they might do. Um, Arthas might show up. I have not seen any sign of him as of yet. But you, you think this is probably the expansion where Arthas might show up. And I could imagine Arthas reclaiming the position... Especially if he did it as like the representative of the jail, like taking the jailer's role, I could see him doing that. He takes the helm back. He becomes the Lich King and now rules over the Shadowland of the Maw. That's as his one penance. possibility. <laughs> That's, yeah, possibly as his penance, or you know, just because he's the only one who can really endure it. And because it's because Bolvar, Bolvar, you know, he could do it, but he doesn't deserve this. And. That's the whole thing. The Arbiter is about giving you the fate you've earned. Bolvar has not earned what's happened to him. None of this was anything that should have happened to him. Um, there's a line from, a, from an old comic book. Uh, I don't remember if you remember it. Uh, it was The Kingdom. It was like a it was a DC Comics limited series. Yeah, vaguely remember it. The part where at the end of that story, the the Earth 2 Superman, the original Superman from the 40s, like the, the, the character of Superman, is they say, you know, he deserved heaven, not prison. And that's kind of how I feel about Bolvar is that, you know, he earned a good, like, we, we talk a lot about Sorfang and how Sorfang had earned a, a, an honorable death and finally got the honorable death he wanted. Bolvar earned better than this. And it's quite possible they'll give him better than this. They'll let, because the Arbiter wouldn't want him to be in that position because it's not what he where his soul belongs so who knows maybe we'll see that i don't know there's really a ton we don't know about this i know that certain characters are in arden wheel like for instance ysera is ysera seems to have full memory of her mortal life and i gotta be careful about saying ysera next to my ipad because it <laughs> thinks that i'm talking to scary um but i mean so there's ysera who i um, would like to see come back quite frankly I, i'll say this again I would like. I want to see Deathwing in the afterlife. Yeah, I want to see I him one of the aliens, and I want to see him as Neltharian. Like he's, you know, when he died, the you know the 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 curse of the old of the old gods was purged from him, and he he he's basically himself again, and that would be amazing and also terrifying because no one's going to believe it. Hello, I am Deathwing. Ah, no, 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 it's fine. I'm fine. I'm okay now. In fact, you can just call me Neltharia. I really shouldn't use the Deathwing name. I know it. I, but I already have. I already have the stationery. It's hard not to use it. It's pretty much everyone knows me as Deathwing. Very few people know me as Neltharia. I just if I say hi, I'm Neltharia, and you're gonna look at me blankly, and I'll think you, you knew me as Deathwing. And it's just let's just get to it. But yeah, I, I, I'd like to see that. Um, I would like. But at the end of this, ultimately, I want the next expansion to be about something else and I don't know what like I've always wanted the, the Dragon Isles thing would be kind of cool I, I don't want them to jump straight into a void I don't want the Void Lords to immediately come back in the next expansion there's been hints that the Void Lords have noticed what happened to the old gods I don't want to immediately have a Void Lords bringing madness to Azeroth expansion I'd like there to be something between this expansion and that expansion because quite frankly I'd like an expansion that isn't so heavy much <laughs> just yeah this expansion is extremely extra it's like oh my word so many things it's like, extremely could we have i want to have the summer vacation expansion can we have the expansion we go to the beach sure there's monsters but can it just be a beach trip i mean yes a beach trip to kill monsters and get loot but but a beach trip nonetheless just, just let's just let's just dial it back we're at like a 13 and i need this at a five so that's just me. I'd like this expansion to to, to end with the jail and and then the next expansion is is a little bit more of a vacation. So I haven't gotten to experience enough to really make a prediction yet. Uh, by the time we were getting these types of questions, uh, we had already gotten a bunch of information regarding 
BFA and Legion, so I had enough information that I could make a educated guess. I don't think I have enough data yet. Uh, we know bits and pieces, so I can't say where I think the expansion will go beyond defeating the jailer. But that's sort of that's a that's an inside the park home run. That's that's real easy. All right. Now, as far as what I would like, and, and this is something that I think Matt's touched on, but it's something I've been thinking about since Matt and I had that Twitter exchange where we both were fearful that Bolvar would take up the mantle of the the jailer. I don't want him to have that. I want this expansion, one of the things that happens at the end is him giving the option to be reforged and sent back. I want a happy ending for him. I, I think he's earned it at this point, and I think with his daughter now being so prominent, I would like to see that moment where this is something we know that they can do. The The Shadowlands has methods of sending souls back, reforging souls, re remaking them. And we know that the Drust have ways of shoving souls into bodies that they make. Why couldn't we combine all of that to give him his happy ending? That's what I really want. I don't know if we'll get that. And I, I know it seems sort of weird in a game where we talk about war all the time, but we haven't had a happy ending. We haven't had a touching moment in several expansions at this point. It's been tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I get that that can be compelling, but maybe this is me just being sensitive because of how the world is around me. I don't want to see more tragedy. I don't want uh, everything to just be doom and gloom. I want glimmers of hope. And I think that it's time for things to start taking a little bit more uplifting of a, a tone for a little while. I understand that peace is not exactly great for gameplay all the time, but little tiny pieces, thing, writing wrongs that have happened all of these years. I'd even be happy, like, and I was staunchly opposed to, like, we can't kill Sylvanas, we can't kill Sylvanas. If something happened in a way that made sense... I think I'd be fine with it now, as long as like either she got her moment of, you know, either her comeuppance and then whatever happens after it, I'd be fine with it. If it's Nathanos putting the dagger through her heart because he finally realizes that the woman that he loved is no longer there and this is the only way to preserve that memory of her, you know, I could be happy with something like that, but I want ultimately, no matter what happens, I want one hopeful, touching moment out of this expansion. I don't care what it is. I just want one. So I think that's going to do it, unless you have anything else to add, Matt? No, I think we're good. Alright. Blizzardwatch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzardwatch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Uh, also, if uh, you, the listeners uh, over, uh, sitting at home, want to listen to some of these books we talked about today, did you know Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial uh, to give you the opportunity to check out the service? You can go ahead and, and use that to take down or download Shadows Rising, download Before the Storm, and get yourself a little bit of a, uh, a jump start on everything that's about to happen in the next expansion. You can download many of Blizzard's titles as well as thousands of others at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. And in the future, if you have questions for the show, as always, please send them to us on the Discord channels, uh, Patreon and Q supporter questions, or as well as just uh, Q and podcast questions, or send it to us an email, podcast at blizzardwatch.com. And thank you guys. We'll see you next week. 